Good morning, church. It is good to see some of you here in the sanctuary, as well as those of you that are at home. We are so thankful that you are here with us today. Pastor Josh has been teaching us lately about prayer, and I want to continue in that vein this morning and talk a little bit about prayer. I heard the story told of a man who was flying his airplane and he encountered a little bit of trouble. So he called the control tower and he told them that he was 300 miles from the airport, he was 600 feet above ground, and he was out of gas, out of fuel. He said, I am descending rapidly. Please advise me on what you want me to do. And the control tower responded, Repeat after me, our Father, who art in heaven, prayer. It's something that we talk a lot about, and yet I wonder that maybe we practice it less than what we talk about it. One of our Church of God greats, Dr. James Earl Massey, wrote a book about prayer, and in it he said, There is a sense in which it is far easier to talk about prayer than it is to pray. And yet, there is another sense in which it is quite a bit easier to pray than to talk about it. Instead of it being something that we do every day that comes naturally to us, like walking and talking and eating, it seems like so often We only turn to prayer in a time of crisis, and it's not something that we do on a daily basis. Again, Dr. Massey says prayer must be engaged to be enjoyed. The best understanding of prayer is gained in using the privilege. The Apostle Paul was one who knew a lot about prayer, who made it a very much a part of his daily practice and he was one who knew the power that comes from prayer. I think that Paul would say that you can't really be a good Christian if you don't have a strong prayer life. It would be kind of like someone telling you, oh, they had such a good strong prayer life, I'm sorry, a good strong marriage And then saying, but my spouse and I, well, we haven't talked for about a month. We would doubt that marriage, wouldn't we? But prayer is communication between God and the people that love him. Turn with me this morning to the book of Colossians. Colossians 4. And we want to look closer today at a prayer of Paul's. Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how to answer anyone. As we look at these verses this morning, I think there are four things that we can find in here about how Paul tells us we should pray and gives us some guidance. Paul begins by telling us that we need to pray with persistence. He begins that verse by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. Some of the other translations say, continue earnestly or continue steadfastly in prayer. The idea is to be persistent and to never give up on praying. Persistence. That's a powerful word and in these verses, I believe that Paul is saying that prayer is a command. It's not to be an option for a Christian, but it's an order for us. When we look at the life of Jesus, we find that persistency in prayer was something that he talked a lot about. He taught it to his disciples. In Luke 18, we see that he was telling them the parable of the widow who was very persistent in going to the judge and wanting some help. And he begins that passage by saying, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Earlier in Luke 11, verse 9, we have that promise from Jesus Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Those verbs used there, ask, seek, and knock, those are action verbs. And those are present tense verbs. So we could translate that promise from Jesus as to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Jesus says to be persistent. Persistence is a very important part, a very important factor in our prayer life. One of the greats in the Christian faith was an English preacher named George Mueller, and he wrote these words about prayer and persistence. He said, the great point is never to give up until the answer comes. I have been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion. He is not saved yet, but he will be. He says, how can it be otherwise? I will continue to pray. That's consistent, persistent prayer. 63 years, eight months, and counting. When George Mueller passed away, that man still had not been saved. But at George Mueller's funeral, the gospel was presented again. And at that funeral, that man repented, gave his heart to Jesus. He trusted Jesus as his savior. There is answer in our persistency. Paul then begins to talk about how we need to pray with passion. It was a very long baseball game, made so partly because the JV team that was playing was losing. And as they sat in the dugout, 
their minds began to wander. And pretty soon they began to question their assistant coach, Richie, about his good-looking sister. How old was she? Was she going out with anybody? And on and on they ask these questions. Well, the coach overhearing this, the head coach, began to get annoyed. Not only were they losing, not only was it a long, hot game, but he realized that his JV players did not have their head in the game any longer. So in frustration, he knew that he had to stop their talk. And so he hollered into the dugout and he said, when you're in the dugout, boys, you are to talk baseball. There was silence for about a minute and a half. And finally, a voice from the far end of the bench called out, so Coach Ritchie, does your sister like to watch baseball? That team had a passion that dominated their thoughts and all of their conversation. It wasn't baseball, it was Coach Ritchie's sister. But talking about that sister put some life and some excitement into what had turned into an otherwise very boring and depressing baseball game. Paul is telling us that we need to be passionate about our prayer life. We need to have excitement. We need to have some life in our prayers. It's a passion that Paul says we can't ever lose when we're praying. If we're persistent in something, if we are adamant about it, then we're going to be passionate about it as well. Paul says we need to be vigilant and we need to be watchful. That describes what a passionate prayer life would be like. Jesus was passionate in his prayer life. In Hebrews 5, 7, we read this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. When we look at Jesus' life, we can look just in the book of Luke alone. And we find several examples of when Jesus prayed passionately. We could begin in Luke 3 at Jesus' baptism, and Dr. Luke writes, as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him. Passionate prayers opened the gates of heaven. And then in Luke 6, the night before he called his 12 disciples, he spent the entire night in prayer. The response to passionate prayer is that God is going to give us direction and show us what we need to do and where we need to go. And then later on in Luke, in, in chapter 9 at the Transfiguration, it's described this way. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. You see, passionate prayer transforms us and we are able to experience the glory 
of God the Father. And then one more in Luke 23 at the crucifixion. As Jesus hung on the cross, he prayed and he asked God to forgive his enemies even at his own expense. You see, a life that is lived in persistent and passionate prayer is going to enable us to maintain a forgiving spirit even in the most difficult of circumstances. Jesus prayed with passion because Jesus knew who it was that he was talking to, who it was that he was praying to, and he knew the power that was his through his prayers. He knew that his authority, his ability to do the things that he did came through prayer and through connecting with God and the Holy Spirit. And we can have that same kind of connection. We can have that same kind of authority in our prayers when we know who we are connecting to. Passionate prayers not only change the world, but they transform the one that is praying. Paul says that we need to be persistent in our prayer life and that we also need to be passionate. But then he talks about something else. He continues and he says that as Christians when we pray, we need to remember thankfulness. Billy Graham wrote this about the Apostle Paul. The next footsteps in the corridor he knew might be those of the guards coming to take him away to his execution. His only bed was the hard, cold stone floor of the dank and cramped prison cell. Not an hour passed when he was free from the constant irritation of the chains and the pain of the iron manacles cutting into his wrists and legs. Separated from friends, unjustly accused, brutally treated, if ever a person had a right to complain, it was the Apostle Paul, languishing almost forgotten in a harsh Roman prison. But instead of complaints, his lips rang with words of praise and thanksgiving. He was a man who had learned the meaning of true thanksgiving even in the midst of great adversity. In the book of Ephesians, while he was imprisoned, he wrote these words, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We humans, I think, tend to be greedy. We tend to focus on what we don't have. But when we begin to intentionally thank God, we're reminded of just how much we do have. It's not just the things that we like that we should be thankful for, but we should even be thankful for those circumstances that we don't like. We should model our prayers after Paul's who, even in the most difficult of situations, found something that he could be thankful for. 
When we are intentional about thanking God for whatever comes our way, we keep bitterness away because you can't be thankful and bitter all at the same time. We don't thank God for the evil, but we thank him that he upholds us through those times. We don't thank God for whatever harm might come to us, but we can thank him that he gives us the strength to endure it and to keep going. How comforting it is to know that promise that all things will work together for the good to those who love God and are called to his purpose. We can have thankful hearts to God even when we may not feel thankful. In grief, we can still thank God. We can hurt and we can still thank God. We can be angry about something and yet we can still thank God. Giving thanks to God keeps our heart in right relationship with God. And expressing gratefulness conveys our dependence on God. And it demonstrates that we are in relationship with him. That we recognize his authority in our life. And gratitude gives the message that we have a right attitude toward God, an attitude which produces humility. Paul had good reason for telling us that we needed to be thankful when we were praying. And then Paul continues some more in these verses, and he begins to talk about being an intercessor in prayer. You see, our personal prayer life affects our interaction with the world around us. We see that there is Paul's concern as he prays, as he encourages us to pray for other people. That's what intercessory prayer is, asking that God's will would be done in the life of another person. Again, we can look at the life of Jesus, and we see that Jesus was an intercessor prayer. He once told Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. As we talked earlier, as he was hanging on the cross, he prayed for others and he asked God to forgive them, saying that they didn't know what they were doing. And in the book of Romans, we read that today, this very moment, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And what does it say he is doing? He is making intercession for us. Paul understood the power that there is in prayer. And he wanted to make sure that the Colossian Christians understood what it was that they were to be praying for. He wanted them to pray with a specific purpose. He asked them to pray for him specifically that God would open a door and give him the opportunity to share the gospel. You know, Paul lived to preach and to teach about Jesus. In fact, it was because of his preaching that he was in prison. 
But Paul wanted God's kingdom to expand. And like Jesus, he was concerned about the souls of other people. He was concerned about their salvation and about their sanctification. But I think it's important for us to look here also and to see what Paul did not ask for in this prayer. Remember, now he was in prison, and yet he didn't ask for anything about his life in prison. He didn't ask them to pray that God would change his circumstances. He didn't ask that they would pray that he would be released from prison. He didn't mention that he had any needs for monetary help to pay for court costs or legal fees. He didn't even ask them to pray that he would be released. He asked them to pray that while he was in prison, he would have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else. How often do you and I pray for the expansion of God's kingdom rather than for those petty things in our own kingdom that we want? If you had kept track of all the prayers that you had prayed in the last month, I think it would be interesting and maybe shocking for us to see how much time we spent praying for our family and friends, for them to have good health, for them to do well in life. And if we compared that with the time that we spent praying for someone who was lost, and headed to hell. Our prayer life would be pretty telling, wouldn't it? Paul is telling us that intercessory prayer, praying for one another, changes things. I heard a story that Howard Henriks, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, shared one time. He said, years ago in a church in Dallas, we were having trouble finding a teacher for the junior high boys class. Imagine that. The list of prospects had only one name, and when they told me who it was, I said, you've got to be kidding me. But I couldn't have been more wrong about that young man. He took the class and he revolutionized it. I was so impressed that I invited him to my home for lunch and asked him the secret of his success. He pulled out a little black book and on each page he had a small picture of one of the boys and under the boys names he had a comment, a comment such as having trouble with math or comes to church against his parents wishes or under another picture it said would like to be a missionary someday, but doesn't think he has what it takes. I pray over these pages every day, he said, and then I can hardly wait to come to church each Sunday to see what God has been doing in their lives. What a wonderful example of intercessory prayer. When you pray for others, when you pray for God's work to be done and for his will to be accomplished, 
He's going to begin to use you to accomplish that work. And you are going to grow in ways that will astonish those around you. It may very well astonish you as well. Sometimes I think we do not become all that God wants us to be because we're so focused on ourselves instead of focusing on other people and the needs that they have. But when we pray, when we pray for others, then we are becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, God is going to use us more and he's going to show us more and he's going to grow us more. We need to be intercessory prayers for other people. So what happens when we follow Paul's instructions and when we pray with persistence, with passion, with thankfulness, and when we pray for others? Well, we begin to take ownership of the burdens that we're praying for. And it reminds us that we are in partnership with God. When we pray, we begin to become aware of, of how God might use us to answer our very prayers because God is the powerhouse behind our prayers. God is the one that gives us the authority and the ability to carry out what he wants us to do. So as we close this morning, I ask a question of you. What does your prayer life look like today? Do you pray often and pray persistently? Are your prayers passionate or are they rather boring? And what about gratitude? How often do you think and pray about all the things that God has given to you? And then who are you praying for? If someone's salvation depended upon the prayers that you've offered on their behalf, would they be headed to heaven? Or are they still headed down the road to hell. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Pray earnestly. Pray continually. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you again for this book, your word, the Bible, that we can turn to and that we can see how it is we are to live our life. Father, as we look at this passage that Paul was teaching the Colossians how to pray and giving them examples of what to pray for, Lord, help us to take this to heart. Help us not to think that it was just for those Christians in Colossae so many years ago, but help us to realize that Paul's commands and words are for us today for our good that we might grow stronger and closer to you and father most of all help us to remember that when we pray we are praying to the one who has all authority 
the one who can transform the world and the one who does it because he cares so deeply for us. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us and especially for giving us salvation. Amen.